Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I am your host, Perry. And I am on my own this week. No swan. Back next week, though. I am excited as can be, though, for you guys to hear this interview coming up in just a few minutes with Alan Bishop from the Spirits of French Lick Distillery in French Lick, Indiana. Really fun interview. Had such a good time recording with Alan. Uh, when, when did we do this? Last week? Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. One of the best, I, I think one of the most insightful and enjoyable interviews uh, that I've gotten to done, gotten to done, gotten to do in a long time. And it kind of harkens back to the, the style of interview that I developed, especially when I first interviewed Dixon Deadman, who, by the way, if you've not listened to that episode, I'd, I'd be surprised if you hadn't, and you're on episode 171, but if you have not listened to that episode, go back. It's one of the finest, one of the best we've done here on the show. Uh, let's see, a couple of things up top. If you have not yet followed the show, at my burn pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can leave us a five-star rating review in the iTunes podcast app as well. And we will read it out here at the end of the show. And also, if you're not yet a patron of the podcast, patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Five bucks a month gets you all of the bonus content like the pregame chats, which come out the day before every episode, and the last call, which comes out the day after every episode. Oh, by the way, slight update on our ongoing push, I guess, to get somebody to purchase a skateboard from our, our merch shop, which has happened now. I apologize. I don't have your name in front of me. We'll, we'll give you a shout out next week. But we, we've been talking about this for months now, and somebody finally bought a, a skateboard with a podcast logo on it. What the heck, man? <laughs> or woman. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. I don't care what you do. Just be safe. Wear a helmet. Wear, wear some knee pads and some elbow guards. Guy or girl or girl. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit tired and, and loopy as I'm getting this going. Uh, I think that about does it for me up top. I'm just excited for you guys to get into this interview that I did with Alan. Like I said, it's a lot of fun. We get some really different insightful points and information about the spirits industry, as well as what it's like just kind of in a, in a day-to-day life of being a guy or, or, or gal in this, uh, or whatever, <laughs> in this industry. It's a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy the heck out of it. I'm going to stop rambling and get you over there right now. We are so happy and lucky to be able to welcome this next guest onto the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alan Bishop of the Spirits of French Lick Distillery. Alan, welcome to the show, man. It's good to sit down and chat with you, buddy. Yeah, man. And I got, I got to tell you up front, like first and foremost, so two things that, uh, repeal day thing that we did was awesome. You were a great host on that. Oh, thank you so much. And second of all, there's a thing that I love about spirits of French Lick. So, and this is just the music dork in me. So I, I love it when people put the in front of it because it makes me feel awesome. Cause it's like, Oh, fair enough. <laughs> it's like when, it's like when the pink Floyd moved to pink Floyd <laughs> But everybody still put the in front of it for the longest time. <laughs> the Fleetwood Mac. Like, the Fleetwood Mac, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, to, to kind of speak to that for a second, this is uh, one of the, the, the interviews that we've done over the past few weeks, one of the episodes we've done over the past few weeks that have kind of spun out of the Repeal Day Expo. The other one was Jay from Whiskey Raiders. 
also known right. as takeover on a, on the the reddits and the social medias and whatnot and and what's been so cool for for me with this is you know at first off thank you so much for your kind words about the 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 finishing panel that i was able to lead but also like we just had such a great time on like a Tuesday morning at 1130, just chatting about bourbon and chatting about this industry. And then it got translated to what, like a half hour panel <laughs> on, on a Saturday where it just felt, I mean, it all felt very natural and um, kudos to you and uh, the guys from Penelope and Forgate as well for, for being so open and being so, so welcoming to yeah. a, basically a guy. I mean, like you were supposed to initially sit down with Fred Minnick and talk mm -hmm. and like the fact that I just kind of rocked up and was like, all right, it's me now. What are we going to do about this, guys? <laughs> like, thank you so much for, for being so uh, oh, so man. accepting and welcoming to to that and, and everything. Yeah. And, um, I, I do have to give Fred all the credit, too, because, like, I called him uh, a couple days before, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of things with the, the podcast that I'm interested in doing, and he kind of misconstrued it as, like, me asking him to be a part of Repeal Day. And I was like, that is not anything that I was trying to get out of this conversation. But sure, why the heck not, man? I'm happy to join in on this. So I, I, I really have enjoyed um, kind of following up with people since yeah. uh, since Repeal Day. And that was, I mean, golly, three months ago at, at, at this point. How has uh, your first quarter of 2021 been so far? Not not bad, not bad. You know, yeah. uh, short of that whole, you know, daylight savings time. BS screw, that, screw that, man. Know. God almighty. Dude, when I was a kid, we had fast time and slow time in Indiana. If you were doing business in Indianapolis, you were on slow time. And if you were doing business in Louisville, Kentucky, you were on fast time. And even if it was confusing as shit, I would take that any day over daylight savings time. Good God. My, Nothing will make you more depressed. I got to get this rant out, man. I'm just telling you. My, we go uh, December, no, you go, January, you go for it. Yeah. December, January, February. You wake up, it's dark. You get home from work, it's dark, right? You get into March, that first week of March, on the way to work, the sun's coming up like, oh, well, maybe life <laughs> is going to be okay. And then, and then, they take an hour away from you, and it's just straight <laughs> darkness again, just right back into the tunnel of death. <laughs> Ridiculous. You're just like, maybe, maybe I'll recover from the seasonal depression one day. Maybe I won't. Maybe my entire <laughs> life is just seasonal depression. But I guess I'm just listening <laughs> to Bajas on the way to work every morning. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Goodness gracious. But, yeah, dude, I, I totally feel that. The, I just... I hate a that I wind up like, and, and you know it's the same thing everybody says, but like you lose an entire hour not only of sleep but of productivity. Like mm -hmm. I, I just I feel just like a sloth for three days at least after daylight wow. savings time. And wasn't there a wasn't there a, a, a bill that got proposed over the past couple of weeks that set to a set out to abolish daylight savings time? They, you know, our our, our, <laughs> our corporate overlords come up with that bill about once every three or four years just to dangle hope over our head is what happens, you know. And then they're, they're really mean about it if you break it down and you think about it because, like, it'd be, it'd be quasi-shitty if they did it to you on a Monday. <laughs> but they do it to you on a Sunday. And if you work six days day of, a week... Day of rest, Sunday, man. Day yeah. of rest. And then you wake up and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. You're like, well... I guess I'm watching Game of Thrones now because 
nothing else productive is going to happen. <laughs> what's your what's your like your your day to day like with a distillery? I know that we're kind of bouncing around from topic to topic, yeah. but uh, you know if 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 you had to give people like a like a vlog style you know rundown of of what you do on a daily basis with uh, spirits of French Lick, what, what's that kind of look like? Yeah, it's 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 fairly straightforward. I mean, you know, as far as distillery life goes, it's a it's a rural distillery. So I'll, I'll give you the the day to day to and from because that's it's more fun. So, you know, wake up. Uh, usually try to I try to be at work by seven o'clock, anyways, every day. Um, sometimes a little earlier, especially in those those wintertime days. I like to be there closer to six because if it's going to be dark, you might as well be inside. So. Um, get to work, uh, get there and check in with Stephen McNeely, my, my still hand and my, my father, Dale Bishop, who's also my still hand. They're both actually assistant distillers. Now I should, I should mention that or they'll, you know, slip my throat with an envelope at lunch or something. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, Stephen, Stephen starts up, he starts doing his mash in. We, uh, we go over everything, you know, from the runs the previous week, the previous day, see if there's anything we need to change or we need to modify or, you know, all the way down to we got a new load of uh, rye in. So is this rye as aromatic as the last batch of rye was? Do we need to bump things up a little bit? Uh, is it going to work out the way it should? Um, yeast all working out good. Yeast here lately has been a big thing because now we're propagating all of our own yeast. So I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not nearly as involved as Pat Heist is with yeast. Obviously, uh, mine is more practical. So it's, it's very much an everyday is this propagated yeast that we're using doing what it's supposed to do and is it providing the, the the stuff that it's supposed to provide the qualities it's supposed to provide um so mondays wednesdays and saturdays are three process days and by three process i mean we're running the uh, stripping still big 1200 gallon still the uh, 600 gallon corn cooker and the uh, 650 gallon doubling still um provided that everything goes well and nothing breaks <laughs> Uh, you know, five years in on a distillery still seems new, but after five years of, uh, of using mechanics every day, things start to deteriorate to some extent. So if things go well, it's usually maybe a 10 to 12 hour day. A lot of times, um, at least for two of us, uh, you know, finish out the doubling run, try to get that stuff proofed down. Uh, if it's whiskey, put it in the barrel that day, uh, maybe put the barrels up the next day do a lot of inventory, a lot of uh, paperwork, a lot of keeping track of numbers and whiskey systems, and uh, still find time to troll the hell out of social media and promote things. <laughs> so come home, take a shower. Do it all again wonder, the next day. Yeah, wonder whether or not I still want to do this for a living and always <laughs> be like, yes, this is exactly because you're not qualified for anything else. This is where you're supposed to be. <laughs> well, you, you have a really unique and, and I would say even exciting perspective about distilling. And it, it all goes back to even the, the way that you approach social media and the, the way that you kind of present yourself. And it's as an alchemist. And there, there is this, this mythical feeling about alchemy, right? That you're just kind of like, this doesn't exist in the modern world. This is a, 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 a pseudoscience of, of times long, long past. And, the, you know, in some ways it's not to be taken seriously, but you do take this very seriously. And, and, and by no means am I trying to downplay what you're doing based on the title that you've given yourself, because I think that that is very indicative of how you should be approaching the the industry in and of itself and how you want to leave your your own mark so 
what what is that kind of one gratifying moment that you feel daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it might be that that gives you that that energy to kind of persevere? Is it that feeling that nobody's doing anything that doing what nobody's doing what you're doing? Excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. t- in this capacity or you know nobody's doing it as well as you're doing it or you know to to any degree so I, i'll let you speak to that and i'll stop rambling a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i see where you went there i like that that was well played uh so it's twofold so overall it's you know it's pot still and for me that's and we obviously have other capabilities at spirits of french like as well but the, all the bourbons are double pot distilled And, uh, you know, people have this idea of pot stills being these very basic machines that do one thing and they can only do one thing. But there's all kinds of bells and whistles and there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do with pot stills that people don't think about. And they're dynamic and they make you pay attention and they make you question yourself. Sometimes they humble you. Sometimes they make you wonder why you're doing this for a living. And yeah. uh, that's that's where the mysticism part of it comes in, right? Because yeah, like, you you can be you can be a chemist, and you know you, you can you can have have some pretty strict ideas about how things work and how they don't work. Uh, but you know you come in on a cold day, and then a storm front rolls through. So now you've got some natural reflux, and now you've also got uh, um, you know barometric pressure uh, dropping, putting the brakes on the still, and you have to start going. Okay, well, how do I maintain the flavor profile? Because it's not the same every single time. Yeah. But the, the big things for me continue to be the aha moments, the things where, and a lot of times, again, these are humbling moments where I get slapped down, put back in my place. Sure. sure. Any time that I can learn something about what I'm doing that I didn't know before, even if after I learn it, I look back on it and it looks obvious. Those are the little things yeah. that I'm after. That's yeah. the mysticism. That's the fun of it. Oh, oh, now. I, okay. All right, now I get it. Now I understand where that particular note comes from. Or now I understand, you know, why we're getting a higher specific gravity when we do things this way versus the other way. And yeah. those those are the things that I look for. Those are the things that motivate me. And then um, other than that, it's really picking on coworkers. You know? <laughs> That's that and getting it's- gifts of pastries. We got we got pastries in the mail today, so I uh, you know it was a good day. It's all it's all about the camaraderie when it comes to making spirits, man. I mean, <laughs> you got to right. put people in their place. That, oh, yeah. that was perfect. That was perfect, man. No, but um, I there there is speaking of of camaraderie as well. I, I think that one of the things that people kind of don't they they don't fully understand is how how welcoming the the community of distillers actually is and you're in a a a really special place too where you do your own show and you have conversations with with people as well and um how have you been able to kind of expand your horizons to other people within the industry and and folks who may be in the the same craft spaces or or even to you know some of the uh, the larger spaces as well with things like the the actual full-on Kentucky bourbon trail what, what how have how have they responded to you and how have you been able to kind of interact with them I'd say it's been awesome um so you know obviously things changed a little bit this year we got a little more attention from those bottled bonds and got in front of you know people uh, such as yourself Fred Minnick etc and yeah that that opened some doors uh that previously hadn't been opened 
um, I don't think. But as far as the camaraderie amongst distillers, probably 95 to 96% of all distillers that I know of, not just in the U.S., but across the world, are completely open about what they do. Yeah. Uh, unless they're on some kind of ego trip or they're just complete assholes. <laughs> you know, they're pretty, they're pretty <laughs> open. And it is easy in this industry. I will, I will be the first to admit this. It is, it is easy to start to fall into your own traps. You know, if you get a few positive reviews, whatever. Um, but that's, that's what I love about doing my show distillers talk with Christy Atkinson. Yeah. Um, I get to, you know, I mean, I get to hang out with these people anyways. They come by my distillery. I go by their distillery. But what I specifically try to do with that show and what Christy does too is we find people that we want to talk to, we want to hear from. Uh, maybe they have a, a a very odd angle on their distilling philosophy. Maybe they're people that you've never even heard of. But I think that that makes it even more fun because yeah, that breaks down that idea of you know if I call the first time I call myself a master distiller, you'll know you'll know I've officially sold out at that point, right? So <laughs> uh, because I learn I learn as much. From hardcore home distillers and moonshiners, as I do from anyone in the legal industry, and sure, I think that that's sure. that's something that gets overlooked by people in the legal industry. They they don't think of these home distillers, these moonshiners, these folk distillers, as I call them, as um, being well educated on distilling. And and sometimes they're they're doing things in a very folksy way. And but but it's the same as the old time distillers. You know, they may not know why things work the way they do, but they know how they work the way they do. And being able to hear that, listen to it and add that to your repertoire uh, is incredibly important and it's incredibly grounding. And again, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, uh, it's humbling because I've had moments where I've seen things or heard things and thought, well, that's, that's, that's not how that works. That's dumb. And then I hear somebody say it in such a way that I'm like, Oh, now you look stupid. Don't you, you, you know, I just, I just posted yeah. a rant, rant about this on social media a couple of weeks ago. And now, now I have to take that back because you've educated me and, and that's worthwhile. <laughs> so I'm very much the same way though, that I, I don't learn from one specific method or, or one specific lane. Like I either have to experience it or I have to watch somebody else do it. And then mm -hmm. I can kind of, you know, like trial and error and, and figure it out along the way. That's kind of in in some in many ways how I learned how to play guitar, too, was like, you know, I'd oh. watch my teacher. I'd watch YouTube videos or whatever. And it wasn't so much about like the theory behind it. It was kind of like, oh, this note, you know, goes here and it plays over this chord and falls into this uh the scale and, and, and whatnot. And what's so interesting to me about that too, is that it all becomes very personal, right? Mm -hmm. And you wind up taking a very unique take on, uh, on what it is that, that you do musically, what you do, uh, in, in, in a very, uh, artistic way as well. And I, I, I want to talk too about the, the way that you guys have, produced your own spirits your own bourbons mm -hmm. in in an artistic manner as well when people think four grain bourbon they think corn rye wheat malted barley you guys went corn wheat oats and barley and that is oh, that's what we did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Audio listeners, he just gave a big old middle finger to everybody but that that's that's not something that 
people are inherently, you know, looking to to incorporate into their products. So w- was it a trial and error thing? Were you kind of trying to, you know, just go, ah, we're going to do what we think is best and screw everybody else who thinks otherwise. And, and to be fair, I'll, I'll you know, it worked because you're gaining a lot of attention and have very much gotten a lot of attention over the past six months as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I suspect that you're the same way that I am just in general. So you, you struggle to learn something until the things that you learn become instinctual mm-hmm. and then they just become common practice to some extent. And then you Absolutely. have to break that down too. You know, it's yep. almost, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the best artists are probably the people and this isn't this isn't sane, but the best artists are probably the people who play guitar and then they learn how to play guitar really well. And they're like, oh, I, I kind of wish I'd break my hand. So I'd have to uh, do this differently. You know, <laughs> uh, the oat thing. I've it, actually know. got a, I've actually got a funny story about that in a, in a second, too. Please, <laughs> I, it, I'll, I'll come. I'll circle back around to it. But please go ahead and <laughs> talk about the oats. So the the oat thing grew out of uh, probably more rebellious teenager thing than anything else, truthfully. So um, that started when I was a kid. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family of uh, nowadays the uh, the correct term is home distiller. Although I I call BS on that. You know, home home distiller is just a nicer way of saying moonshiner. I don't really sure. care if you're selling it or not, but that's what you are, um, and you should you should be proud of that. But uh, so, you know, when I was 15, I got got involved in it and they helped me build a little pot still. My dad, and my grandpa. And, and I, I've told this story before, you know, I gave him two rolls. Don't blow your ass up in the backyard, bring us something that's worth drinking. So I knew all the things I'd seen them do. And they were just basically doing sugar shines with either corn and maybe they'd have some wheat or they'd have some rye. Um, or they were doing peach brandy or apple brandy because everybody in Indiana at that time had a fruit tree in their backyard. So I knew the oats were green. I knew I'd never seen them use them. I was like, well, I'll show these old assholes, <laughs> you know, and threw some oats in there. And uh, it just, it, it evolved as I got deeper and deeper into my craft. And um, when I got to Copper and Kings, at, at the time that I was at Copper and Kings, they actually wanted to get on the bourbon trail and they had cut some kind of deal at some point to get on the bourbon trail and they had to make so many barrels of bourbon a year. And so I got to do a prototyping run of that mash bill. Um, and I don't know what happened to it. It's there's two barrels. There were two barrels of it somewhere. Copper and Kings. Who knows if they'll ever see a lot of day or if the staff has drank them because they were they were hitting pretty hard before <laughs> I left. Um, and so that Mashville has followed me. I decided, you know, I'll take it to Spirits French Lick. And I knew that that had to be the first thing out the door because there was such a great uh, historical opportunity and um, marketing opportunity with. Sinclair having been from Washington County, Indiana, going to Orange County, Indiana to do business, me being from Washington County, Indiana, going to Orange County to do business. And then there was also that great history of oats having been used in bourbon prior to industrialization, but nobody knew it because in this one tiny spectrum of bourbon that we know, which is the six or seven distilleries that made it through through industrialization and prohibition. Right. And they don't use oats, you know? So you know, if I'm if I'm going to be on the wrong side of the river and I'm going to make bourbon, the easy the easy out would be to make a clone of whatever Kentucky bourbon you like. But what then would be the purpose of doing this? Yes, obviously monetarily, it probably makes a little more sense. Although I'm not sure that anybody's going to pay the extra thirty dollars for your bottle that they're going to pay over top of Old Forester or whatever. Right. Um, so you know, if I'm going to charge a little more. I'm going to pot still. I'm going to do no chill filtration. I'm going to go number two chart oak barrels. I'm going to really throw things off kilter, off profile, use brandy yeast. 
Um, I mean, couldn't get any more night and day from traditional Kentucky bourbon and I love it, but <laughs> you know, let's go all out. Let's throw some, let's throw some damn horse feet in there and make some, some <laughs> oated bourbon, you know, and, and not to mention that, but also, you know, starting out, I mean, the first, uh, the first two damn bourbons we released, we did the opposite of everybody else, right? We, we released two weeded bourbons. So the yeah. weeder and then Lee Sinclair, because everybody else is coming out with two year rye at the time, you know, yeah. and we went the opposite. So Young stuff with wheat and oats, and then uh, you know the oldest whiskey we'll have so far will be out this fall, which will be uh, rye whiskey at five years old. We went the exact oh. opposite. Oh, I'm so excited about it, man! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot wait hey, to try it. They got a they got a single barrel of it right now over at Bottles Unlimited in New Albany. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I did yeah, see a little t- preview. I did see too that you guys are doing single barrels of uh, Lee Sinclair and and Maddie mm-hmm. Gladden as well. Um, we can, we can talk about that in in just a second, but I also want to talk about, um, this notion that you brought up of being on the wrong side of the river. That's (laughs) like, I, I know, and you know, and a good majority of people who listen to the podcast know as well, that the limestone shelf does not begin and end at the border of Kentucky. It extends up into Indiana and down into Tennessee. No, 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 no. That's a magic river. It's a magic <laughs> river. An old man threw beans into it 800 years ago, and now it's right. Thou Hoosier shall not cross this line. <laughs> But, nor but, shall <laughs> nor shall you make bourbon <laughs> but just just the notion that kentucky bourbon is the best bourbon or that it has to be made in kentucky to be called bourbon is one that we have had to fight with so much recently not not just you know because of uh the bourbon boom or or because of how people were reacting on the secondary market or yada 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 but it's just that you know there there are products that are being sourced out of Indiana that people love. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, there's there's MGP, and then there's the uh, Tennessee Distilling Company, which yeah, you know, I, I mean, there there are so many great products that are coming north and south of the border from Kentucky and are, are just blowing people away. Do do you feel like you're fighting against the tide to? get people to accept an Indiana bourbon as a high quality product? Definitely a little bit. Right. So, um, and it's, I guess it's a little twofold. So it's almost, it's almost fighting against the tide, not only on the Indiana thing, which ironically does not happen to us in Kentucky. We get that from Indiana people. We don't, I've never had a Kentuckian ever (laughs) once say that to me. It's always people from Indiana. that say you can't make bourbon in Indiana. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But then also, you know, that we're, we're such a different style from MGP. And and of course I love those guys because for, for Indiana, which had a huge temperance movement, uh, unfortunately tied to, Unfortunately, tied to the Knights of the Golden Circle, which became the, the KKK. And thankfully, you know, Seagram's, MGP, LDI, et cetera, they kept the lights on for a lot of us Indiana yeah. distillers for a long time. But I, I tend to think of myself as not only a Hoosier and a Southern Hoosier, but very much in the vein of 
the distillers of the region that I'm in, which is the Black Forest. So Orange, Washington, Lawrence, Crawford, Harrison, and Perry County, because that was kind of the small distillery capital of Indiana, where there were 155 plus distilleries between 1855 and 1914 in this little six county region on the limestone karst. Um, matter of fact, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, the Empire State Building quarry is in Bedford, Indiana. Um, you can go there and it literally wow. looks like the Empire State Building was cut out of the ground from Holy that area. Moly. Most of the uh, buildings in Washington, D.C. built from uh, Bedford limestone, what they call Salem limestone. Um, so I have a little bit of a twofold battle in that, and again, love MGP, respect them, but I'm, I'm, I'm the only distiller currently, commercial distiller, obviously, in that six county region trying to represent that history right so right right it's it's almost a double handicap in some ways i think um to to be trying to represent that because like if i come out with a bottle and i say it's indiana rye whiskey what what does everybody immediately jump to oh it's mgp 95 percent rye no no it's not it's not even it's not even close to that it's actually it's basically the old george washington mashville is what it is which if you know your distilling history, was actually a huge part of the heritage of the entire Ohio Valley. That sixty percent rye mashable was, absolutely. Um, and there's there's a huge deep history of distillation in Southern Indiana and Southern Ohio uh, as well. That's almost as long as what it ever was in Kentucky. And the, and the thing that people don't understand is, you know, the science is not settled on where the name bourbon came from. And I will always give Kentucky credit with creating bourbon. That was the first Western state where corn was the common grain. Obviously, they deserve that credit. But what people need to understand is that the name bourbon itself did not become a thing until about 1821. And so if you look at the trade routes for bourbon along the Ohio River, uh, Indiana, Kentucky and Ohio, what you find is that back before the locks went in on the Ohio River, you had to actually cross the Ohio River if you were east of New Albany, Indiana, to the Kentucky side in order to avoid the falls of Ohio. So Prior to 1821, you know, I would, and, and even after 1821, up into the 1840s, 1850s, I suspected fully 20 to 30% of the bourbon that was shipped out of Kentucky probably was coming out of Indiana and Ohio. So we, we have a history of it. And we, I stole it from Mike Veach, who I think stole it from Al Young. It's no such, <laughs> no such thing as Southern Indiana. It's Hoosier occupied Northern Kentucky. <laughs> Until you get to about Columbus and then north of Columbus, you know, and I, I include Columbus because of Tom Fisher, basically. So but sure. once you get north of Columbus, then 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 it's kind of Canada. Yeah. So, right. you know. <laughs> but what what's what's so cool to me, too, I mean, it there there, of course, is this this rich history of, of bourbon that that does exist in uh Southern Indiana, Northern Kentucky, whatever you actually want to call it. I mean, I'm not going to try to put labels on it or, or whatever. But um, I I am at this point where, and I, I think that it is becoming increasingly more understood that bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States. I mean, it's been that way for, mm-hmm. what, 50 plus years 60 plus years at, at this right. point i can't i can't remember exactly when it was passed i used to know it off the top of my head when i was doing i uh, bourbon tours <laughs> but, right but it's right. you know i haven't done that in basically over a year at this point so it's just totally you know gone from my brain um 
but it it is America's native spirit. It is America's mm-hmm. only native spirit, and um, I there e- even still, I mean, we we can talk day in and day out about how bourbon itself is rooted within uh, the the history of America, but I mean, it it wouldn't exist without its ancestors from <laughs> from across the pond. Yeah, as, as yeah. well. How how does the the history of whiskey, Scotch, Irish, you know, even the you know the the no name whiskey products that you know came and went as people attempted and and tried and trialed and errored things. How does that inspire you to to make new products? It's a it's a huge part of it, especially that Black Forest region, the traditional methods there, because I've done so much research on it, you know, through yeah. my my website, the Alchemist Cabinet that WordPress.com. It's actually alchemistcabinet.com now. Um <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. Jolie set it up. If I don't say it, she's gonna punch <laughs> me in the face. Okay, so somebody's somebody go go buy that domain and it's up for sale and you gotta sell <laughs> right. it, you gotta sell it back to Alan. <laughs> somebody already owns my name. They want like nine hundred dollars for it. I, I'm sorry, but my name ain't worth nine hundred dollars, guys. You but there's quick there's enough a, on Twitter. Right. There's a big part of that story that's never really really been told that well right so and and it's the the old saying in kentucky for example is that the english came over and built churches the germans came over and built barns the scots irish came over and built still houses which is mostly true for indiana and kentucky both except that the germans were just building nicer rounder still houses that you call barns now because it was harder to find a corner to piss in when you were drunk (laughs) but the germans definitely contributed a lot to the conversation and so what you find here in Southern Indiana is this deep German culture, uh, as well as another, you get the Scots-Irish, you get the Irish, and then a secondary culture of Welsh, small pockets oh, of Welsh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they don't, they, they never live together, but they'll live next to one another. And so when you start looking into the methodology of distillation, um, that these communities were using early on, you know, the Welsh do the Welsh thing, the Germans do the German thing. And then as you look at that history, they start to borrow and trade back and forth and they're using methodology that you don't see in Kentucky. They're using methodology with brandy that you don't see anywhere else in brandy production whatsoever. And there, it's a very distinct style of distillation. Um, it's a very, uh, heavy, flavorful style of distillation um, that is focused more on the raw material as a starting point and a good point. It should be good off the still to start with. Right. Um, that then gets balanced with age, if so needed. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's that's been that's been a big gist of what I've learned from the people here. And for me, it's fun because. So my family's not from Southern Indiana. My family's all from Kentucky. I mean, we're all from Eastern Kentucky and then down around uh, uh, Oneida on that side of the family and in Greensburg, Kentucky, and they've oh, wow, worked okay. at distilleries down there, et cetera. So even though my family's lived here for three generations, uh, I'm really first-generation Hoosier. And, uh, you know, if you live in a small town in Southern Indiana and you're first-generation Hoosier, even if you're even if everybody's known your grandparents, et cetera, you're still the new guy. So... <laughs> I love doing that research and talking about it because I'm not going to offend anybody that, that, you know, it really matters in any way, shape or form. Now, on the other hand, my wife's family has been here since like 1809. So, wow. um, you know, you, you occasionally 
you occasionally get people who go, oh, my grandpa wouldn't have run a distillery. He had nothing to do with alcohol. Here's the tax records. You're wrong. Sorry. (laughs) You know, but those are the things that that I try to let inform me. Um, And I think that that's, I'll be honest with you. I think that that is where craft is heading. I think that's where craft needs to head to. Um, I don't mean this in any negative way towards anybody and how they want to define craft because there's no good, there's no good definition of craft. Um, but my definition of craft is, are you a regionalized distillery that represents the culture of your region and the taste of your region using products from your region? Mm. For me, that's what craft is. A, A craft small distillery should be uniquely situated and connected specifically to its local food shed. Because that's what the old distilleries were. And there's nothing wrong with being a larger industrialized distillery, obviously. But um, I think that's a, that's an interesting conversation to have. I, I want to speak to that, too, with you specifically. When we were recording the panel for the Repeal Day Expo, um, you were kind of distracted at one point. And we were like, Alan, what, what's going on? Somebody brought in... Was it rabbits? Rabbits. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> that were gonna be <laughs> that were gonna be cooked up. Yeah. And like, I mean, uh, that yeah. that is there is nothing more indicative of you know that that idea of living off the land than somebody just come in and being like, hey man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want these? <laughs> Listen, if if you're if your barrel delivery guy don't bring you rabbits and and uh, pickled <laughs> eggs, you ain't doing it right. Uh, big, big shout out here to, uh, uh, Larry Trexler of Zach Cooperage, who, uh, who keeps me in the rabbits, uh, which my daughter calls special chicken <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the pickled eggs. So special chicken. we told her it was rabbit. She wouldn't uh, eat it. So. Oh man. You know, <laughs> I, I go through this thing every now and then where I'm like, is my daughter, when she gets older, going to look back at what I did and, and go, what were you? What were you thinking? Why? Why? Why was that the, the the path that you decided to go down? And um, I hope that your daughter doesn't at some point go. You mean to tell me I was eating rabbits the entire time and you never said anything about it, Dad? <laughs> also, if she's listening to this and this is how she finds out. Sorry. Yeah, this is how it happened. She's, Sorry. She, she's, she's not going to be too terribly scarred by it because – so she she is a picky eater, but I will say this. She's – um. so we, we – I, I I fish a lot for turtles, and I know there's people oh, okay. going to listen to this and be like, oh, this this hillbilly eats turtles, right? But yes, I do. Uh, and so I you know I butcher them in my front yard. So if you're driving – right next to the highway by the way so if you're driving by my house and you're like what's all the blood and guts over there uh, it's just bishop again you know, out there shucking turtles there, do you shuck cutting turtles a, <laughs> cutting down cutting on a damn turtle well she won't she won't eat a turtle but okay. i will i'll cut the shell off of it and she will she she will go out of her way to wash it the water hose it's the cleanest shell you've ever seen in your life that's sweet she, though she's all about it that's so. a that's a level of compassion that is is slightly misplaced right because (laughs) because like there's no real benefit to it at the end but at the same time like you can't tell them don't do that because it doesn't matter you just have to be like hey keep this up 
don't neglect this the older you get. That's something oh, that, yeah. like, as as I've become a dad in the past five months, six months, whatever you want to. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate yeah. that. But, like, the more I think about it, the more it's like, I don't want to foster a sense of, uh, of, of nihilism or of just just being overly cynical you know yeah like yeah, it's I, easy I, to do yeah it, it's ab- it, absolutely, it absolutely is and um you know i've got a long ways to go before i can actually start teaching her things like you know be kind always <laughs> no matter i mean respect people they're not going through the same thing that you are but it it's you know it's something that has in turn i think made me a better person too like i i feel mm-hmm stronger as 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 a person because i i think and i think i think about this a lot and i've thought about this a lot recently as well um there's never been a situation where i've gone i hope that somebody else acts like that person whom i admire but i'm not gonna act like that yeah right so (laughs) i i am increasingly mindful of the way that I act towards other people, especially if I expect that action to come from other people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's so funny because like, I, I, I kind of had this conversation with my wife yesterday too, about, um, you know, what, what it's like to, to be sick and, and how, you know, other people react to you when you're sick. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, at it, at its base level is something that we all kind of, go through of course i mean everybody gets the sniffles everybody gets strep or or a a sinus infection from from time to time but just because (laughs) i had a a really easy sinus infection by the way i never had an easy sinus infection growing up it always knocked me on my butt but you know that doesn't mean that somebody else is going to deal with it the exact same way that that i do and it's just you know, this is totally gone off course, but it, it, in part, <laughs> in, in part, it's me trying to like, you know, get get this out as well. But like, I I can't justify saying, well, I hope that my daughter acts this way while not acting the way, not acting that way, exactly, presenting it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, and I go ahead. I struggle. I struggle with that a lot. I'll tell you that. Now, I will. I will tell you this. Uh, they, you know, uh, you help a child as much as they help you in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, they, 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 they humble you and they put you in a different place. So mm-hmm. my daughter's, my daughter's five and a half now. She'll be, she'll be six the end of July. Oh man. Um, and I can tell you that eight years ago, if you asked me what the most important thing was, I'd say distilling. Right. <laughs> and now I'm like, somebody's like, you know, and I, and I love distilling. I'll always love it. Always be passionate about it. But if, if somebody takes, and this is, here's the 5% of distillers that, that have the ego problem, right? They take it too seriously. Yeah. And so my reaction to them now is, hey, hey, this is cool. There's a tool here. There's a way to define things and work through things with whiskey yep. or whatever you want to drink. Uh, but let's face facts. We're not curing fucking cancer here, guys. You know, we're making whiskey. You know, the best we can hope for is that uh, – you help somebody work through something they needed help, needed help working through, and uh, also nobody used your product stupidly. One one of the things that we we talked about on on a recent episode was 
how has not only our relationship with bourbon changed over the past year, but also how has the community at large changed their approach to bourbon during the pandemic, during, you know, people trying to adjust to being alone more, you know, not going out and sharing bottles or, or, you know, experiences and, and whatnot. How have you kind of, and we talked about this before a little bit, we, we started to record, but um, what, what's your relationship been like and with alcohol since the pandemic started? Yeah. Well, uh, there's a couple of different angles I can come at here, but the first one <laughs> and is, I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to dox you or anything either. No, I, no, I you're apologize. good. You're good. You're fine, brother. You're fine. I dox myself every day, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, friends day. On, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, there was a national Alan Bishop day, which was solidarity through sarcasm and the damn emblem was a shocker. I mean, you can't get any more. Uh, well, I would like to say that I was I'm optimistic about it, but then yeah. I see more ta- I see more tater stickers now than I saw before. So you know that kind of defeats the optimism, I guess. Okay. Um, well, on a personal level, I've certainly probably drank more in the last year, which is probably not a great thing. Same. Although it's definitely helped work through some stuff. Yeah, for same. sure. Same here. I will tell you something that I don't think you're going to hear from very many other distillers um, at all. Uh, And this is not personal in any way, shape or form, but um, from an industrial industry standpoint, I honestly believe that if it were not for COVID, our distillery wouldn't be where it's at. I think that we wouldn't be that far away from closing down. I think that Jolie Casper, Zach and I were far enough ahead of the curve on understanding social media and word of mouth via social media, not even paying for things on social media, but just understanding how to use social media on your personal platform as well as your business platform to increase the appearance of what you're doing, that it actually helped us out. Because here's what I think. I think the distribution industry had already changed prior to COVID. I think distributors are struggling still to figure this out because five, six years ago, every distributor said on-premise drives off-premise. Not with craft brands, it doesn't because you're never getting your stuff in the well because they can't afford to pay for it. It's never going to happen. Social media drives off-premise and we are a distinctly off-premise brand. Now we have things that are for on-premise, but we have focused almost exclusively on off-premise. And because of that, we've done a lot of podcasts, we've done a lot of streams, we've done, you know, I've taken advantage of every opportunity I can, whether it be virtually or, you know, if it's, listen, if it's it's a bourbon club in North Vernon, Indiana, and there's nine guys in the basement, if you got good food, I'm driving to your house. Cause that's nine dudes that are gonna stick by me from now till the end of time. Yeah. So, Um, but I do think that we were enough ahead of the curve on that. That's what helped us get to where we are. I also think that there's, there was a great chance on a personal level, not just a business level, because Julie and I don't think of it like that. We don't, we, she and I don't really look at it as like promoting spirits of French Lick. We're, we're building community is what we're doing. Spirits of French Lick just happens to be a part of that. And it would be, It'd be the same if we were at another distillery. If we were at another distillery, sure. it would just be a part of who we are because it has to be representative of us or it's not worth doing. And so there's been a lot of just 
building up interpersonal relationships that have been awesome. Um, you know, people talking back and forth, you know, people, people send us gifts. It, it, and, and they're not always people that we know well. Sometimes they're just people that have tried our product and they see us on a podcast and, you know, they, they send, you know, I got a necklace the other day, which uh, was a, uh, a Mjolnir necklace uh, made in Iceland oh. from Damascus still. Oh, it's the coolest thing in the world. Oh, so cool. Yeah, man. Oh, it's, my it, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I love that I'm, stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm like jealous of, of that. That is incredible. Dude. We got, we got a big box of baked goods from North Carolina this morning, you know. Some might like our whiskey, you know, and I think that's it. And we'll go out of our way to make sure that we tell those people thank you and take care of them. And, you know, we we the only thing that's been a little bit of a downer has been not doing tours, not having that human yeah. interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't I don't necessarily miss the festivals and the tastings that much because. I was doing so many of them well, that it got yeah. a little hard to keep up with. Yeah, and I'm sure they get monotonous in in many ways <clears> as well. They do. I mean, and, and I, I I enjoy meeting all the people and talking to all the people. But I mean, there was a, a a year and a half period last year where it was literally like two tastings or festivals a week, every oh. week for a year and a half. And I, there's no way I'm not I'm not I'll, I'll just tell you right now I'm not going to go back to doing that because I can't do it you know yeah, we're, we're we're a three person distillery team there's no way I can can't do it man just can't do it but and and I mean th- this is something too that I've been thinking about <clears throat> a lot recently as well I mean it, it's just it comes with the territory but I I, I have to make time for my family you know, yes. I have to, yes. I have to see my daughter. I mean, she, she's yeah. at a point where like, if, if I don't see her regularly for multiple hours in a day, as she is rapidly developing, I'm going to mm-hmm. regret that. I mean, just, just straight up, like I'm going to feel really bad about that for the rest of my life. So absolutely. And, and, and you know, th- this is, it, it's funny. I, I'll speak as well about my really relationship with bourbon over the past year. I mean, of, of course, you know, like I was saying, I definitely drank more during the pandemic. Um, but as, as my, as soon as my daughter was born, I was like, I don't want to drink so much that I can't remember what's happening. Right. You know, like I, my daughter doesn't deserve that. I don't, (laughs) I, I should not put that, in place of a relationship and mm-hmm. I should maintain those memories because that's something that's truly, truly special, you know? Exactly. And, and, it only and, happens once. Exactly. And, and so I, I had to be very conscious of it mm-hmm. and, and go do what's important while it's important and everything else just kind of is in a gray area. Yeah. You know? Yeah. See, see, man, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is cool shit that you don't get on bourbon podcasts. Usually this is, this is <laughs> legit stuff that helps people. And again, whiskey is a tool for those things, right? It, it lubricates those conversations in a very good way. So, uh, no, I, I appreciate all that stuff and I yeah. agree completely. Yeah. Um, I, I will tell you this too. The other thing that I took away from COVID on a personal level was cause I'm always trying to become a better distiller. I'm always trying to learn a little bit more. So I took this past year to uh, to do a lot of bench experiments at the distillery and teach myself some things that I did not know that I wanted to learn. Um, you know, I, I spent months working on a, 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 I can't say it right, a verde absinthe, a green absinthe, 
which for me, um, I've all, I guess I've always kind of looked at that as like my distiller's thesis. Can I do a true Parisian style right, absinthe? Right. Um, and I feel like I pulled it off fairly well and, and did some work with Jim Martin from Key West uh, Smuggler and got him an absinthe uh, introduction. And I worked just recently worked on a, a gin. And of course, gin, I know gin is, you know, obviously super overrated right now, but. Um, Over, overrated. What are you talking about? I think it's going well, through a huge boom. I agree. I agree. But you, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a million and one of them, but no, there, there, got, there are, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I got to, I got to do a really cool one with, um, I can't say their names because of non-disclosure, but th- this no, is fine. all, you know, but this was a, a Florida gen that was, um, it was all made from botanicals within 10 miles of their distillery. And that's it was awesome. all botanicals that I was not familiar with. I got a box in the mail and it was all shit that I had no idea what the hell to do with. And I loved it. Loved it, you know, awesome. so uh, trying to take advantage of all these opportunities that I can, you know, to, um, I don't know. And this, this ties into the having kids things too, you know, maybe one day my daughter Penny decides that she wants to be a distiller. And if she does, that's great. And she'll have uh, she'll have a decent heritage to draw from. If she doesn't, that's okay too. You know, you, she you doesn't know, have to be. I, I never, and, and, you know, we can, we can make the jokes and get the t-shirts or the onesies that say future bourbon drinker or, you know, right. bourbon made me and it's got do it crossed out, you know, underneath it. And whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's all of those little things that, you know, we, we can joke about in tandem. But like I, I personally don't think of something like doing a podcast or, or drinking bourbon as something that I expect or think that my daughter will do. Mm-hmm. When she grows up, I mean, and, and it's not like, you know, I don't want her to. I mean, if, she, if that's something that she wants to indulge in, by all means, be responsible with it. And, you know, this, that and the yeah. other. And, and you know, I'll be right there with her. I'll be like, heck, yeah, we'll drink some of this incredible wilderness trail pick that I got in 2020 or this yeah. <laughs> freaking <laughs> Maddie Gladden bottle that got yeah. sent to me. I mean, as you can tell, I've kind of enjoyed it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Based on oh, yeah. <laughs> based on how much is left in there but you know i mean there there is this this precedent of like you know i i don't want my daughter to grow up to be exactly like i am i mean she should be allowed to do exactly what she wants to and be able to explore their own things exactly yeah well that's the funny thing with my daughter she uh she by the time that that girl's 15 she's gonna know as much about distilling as i do now i i think (laughs) um and i'll tell you a funny but but that and again that doesn't mean that she you know she needs to be a distiller she may have no interest in it when she turns yeah, that age um, and that's fine that's fine uh, you know I just my my goal is one day hopefully you have an apprentice and you teach them whoever that apprentice is and your your kids are a different thing you know they go and they do what they need to do and yeah. they and and it is what it is but I will tell you when she was three years old we went to a festival um, in Livingston Kentucky called Moonshiners Ball this oh, is the yeah, most yeah, fun yeah. festival uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, it's the most fun festival you'll ever go to. It's 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 basically um, all the children of the families who followed the Grateful Dead is what it is, and uh, a, a bluegrass festival on top of it. So incredible, but man! Two it's years ago was the first the first year that they actually highlighted having actual moonshiners there. So I got invited down, and I know a lot of people in that community. And so my friend Rick Gibson was there, and Rick Gibson builds. Uh, for anybody who's distilling curious itself, he, Rick builds these things that are called Tennessee Thumper Stills. They're the craziest things you'll ever see. 
they basically use mason jars as thumpers or doublers is what they use. And they're, they're a very odd-looking machine, but they make fantastically flavorful products. And as we walked up, it was me, my wife, my dad, my buddy DJ, and my daughter. She knew Rick. And Rick was standing there explaining one of his Tennessee thumper stills to somebody. She ran out in front of us and ran up to Rick and she goes, yeah, Rick, do you even know how to run one of those things? Oh, snap. <laughs> That's awesome. Three, three years old. Do you even know how to run one of those things? <laughs> that's the best. Oh, that's so good. That brings so much joy to my heart. <laughs> right? And Rick, 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 without missing a beat, he just looked at her. He looked at me. He smiled. And he goes, no, but I bet you know how to run one better than your daddy does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness gracious. That That's so cool to think about too in in regards to you know legacy i mean in in many ways and we talked about it earlier on as well you know thinking about where we came from and and how we can kind of grow based on not only what we've been taught from from people who've come before us but also the the way that we have we have experienced things and i i said earlier that i would tell you my my broken hand guitar playing story. Um, and it, it's, it's not nearly as cool as actually breaking a hand. I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Um, but <laughs> I, I studied graphic design in college. I, that's what I'm trained in. And I, a big component of it was actually presenting your work. And um, that included printing it out and cutting it and, stapling or you know adhering it together and whatnot and i was in i was in a production class and had this stupid ruler facing the wrong way mind you in an exacto knife and i sliced the tip of my finger off it was just just clean just clean clean off and I I just wasn't able to play guitar basically for about six months, and you know I've found ways to kind of fudge around it. But I I mean, before then I had of course an undying love for it and a huge passion for it, and ever since then I mean it's something that I don't take for granted. Right. What What was that moment for you that was your <laughs> your broken hand or your slice of your fingertip getting cut off. <laughs> so <laughs> that, so my, <laughs> mine was a little more like, mm, it was a little more, it was a little more like, is it podcast safe? Can we, can we put this yeah, on the podcast? It, it, there was, there was never like a, 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 a moment like that, like getting physically hurt or anything like that, but it was more like I was on, I was going to get busted. There's no way that I was not going to get busted distilling at home. Sure. It was absolutely coming at one point in time. As a matter of fact, we got called in a couple different times and had to move stuff in the middle of the night. And that's terrifying, truthfully. Sure. And so my moment was more along the lines of my now wife saying, hey, you need to get your shit together and go get a job doing this or I'm out. And that was my moment of. Wow. Yeah, I better better get my shit together. Now, the other side of, of that is, um, so I, and this is the recent thing, we talked about this right before the podcast went on, but I'll tell people about it because I think they'll enjoy it. 
I enjoy the chase much more than I do the catch, right? So we, you and I could have sat here and talked Maddie Gladden or Lee Sinclair all night easily. Yeah. But that's already been caught. That's already <laughs> out there. That's bottled and bond. It's a craft distillery. It's a big deal for me. It's very cool. I'm proud of it. I love it. It's good whiskey. Go buy it, please. Silbox.com. And to be fair, I have been drinking on it throughout the entire time that we've been right. chatting to right. and enjoying it thoroughly. And um, I'll, I'll try to do a, a review or just a, a more in-depth conversation or, or yeah. just, you know, description of it at some point on my own. But yeah, th- this is not really, we, we've gotten to the point where it's like, ah, the whiskey isn't what we're really here to ah, talk about. Fine. So no. <laughs> anyway, continue, this please. Is, this is fun. <laughs> so that that's that's the catch, right? And so there there will be other catches coming up. The rye whiskey we talked about earlier, they'll be five years old, uh, named after Solomon Scott, local uh, distillery owner, Moonshiner, et cetera. William Dalton bottled and bond weeded bourbon coming up in May. Buckwheat bourbon that we're calling Morning Glory coming up in May. Those are all catches. Those are all done. They're they're going to be out there. They're going to be there for people's consumption. I'm proud of all of them or they wouldn't be released. So the chase for me is what else can I learn? What comes next? And so as I was telling you before the podcast started, I recently made a very stupid decision. And that stupid decision was I spent about $1,200 on tools and then another $800 on copper because I convinced myself that in order to be a real distiller, as though I'm Pinocchio and I need to be a real boy, (laughs) I had to learn how to build a copper pot still from scratch, not to run it or anything. I've done all that, but I've never built a copper still from scratch. And so kind of reverting back to the daughter situation, what I hope is that 15 years from now, when my daughter is maybe potentially tangentially interested in distilling, she doesn't look at this hunk of junk copper still that I've made and go, that's why dad didn't push me on the tire swing that week, because he was chasing the stupid copper pot still idea. And this is the best he could do with his limited mechanical abilities. (laughs) So, but I'm also now too far invested in it to not figure out how to master it. And I don't, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what that contributes in any way, shape or form to to any Mm -hmm. knowledge I have about distilling other than I will tell you this. I respect those copper workers a whole lot more than I, and I always respected them. But now I like, I'm going to message Sean Stevens sometime in the next two days because he and I are good friends from formerly a Vendome. And I'll be like, I don't know how you did this for 40 years. I, you know, I've been playing around with it in the evenings and three days into it, I'm ready to chuck this thing in the damn Creek. Yeah. Are, so. are, gotta find the right, right way to phrase this question. This is going to be are, a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, to, to rein this one in because I, I want to, I want to make sure I get it right. Are you in the, the pursuit of, of of expanding your horizons as a distiller as in in some forms as well and it, th- this is something that i like to ask people as well and i can kind of already um ascertain what your answer would be is whether or not you consider distilling or, or whiskey making an art form and i i think you and i can both agree that you view it that way right mm-hmm. Um, with all of that in mind, 
are you, are you afraid of the 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 failure aspect and are you how how do you kind of push through that to move on to the next step in your your whiskey making journey so that's that's actually an interesting question I think right now in particular, because the, the, the success that we've had, because um, yeah, I mean, and you, you know how the industry works, right? I mean, if, if somebody who's a name in the industry and, and we'll just, we'll use Fred Minnick as an example, gives okay. you a positive review. What's the, what's the first thing that you hear? If you're a craft distillery, what's the first thing you hear? How much you pay Fred? We didn't pay him anything. <laughs> Fred liked our whiskey, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he, to some extent, yeah, there's always like a little, like, don't read the comments. You know what I mean? Because nothing good comes from reading the comments at all. So, yeah, to some extent, and I joke with Fred about that all the time, like, because if something good happens with our product through Fred or, or through any of these reviewers, they, they, Fred in particular, like, he's not going to, if he, if he pre-records something, he's not going to tell me how it did. You know, it doesn't matter how many times I, oh, you just have to wait and see. You know, I might have done really well. I might have done really bad, whatever. So I always accuse Fred of like, you don't really like our whiskey. You're just trying to give me a heart attack, you know, because I'm I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Yeah. And so I I know and I understand that there are things that we make that not everybody's going to like. And I'm very open about that. Like the uh, the buckwheat bourbon, the morning glory bourbon. I will tell you right now that it's 50 50 for people. Um, it's, you know, if I put it in front of people, it's either 50% of them absolutely love it or 50% of them absolutely hate it. Um, but I've never had anybody go, yeah, they're very strong opinions. <laughs> and that's what I'm okay with. I want strong opinions one way or the other, yeah. you know, not, not, uh, not everything we make is going to be a hit for everybody. And that's okay. The Lee Sinclair is the same way. You know, some people just do not like that grain forward sort of profile. They don't like the oats. And that's all right. Because for all those people who've made up their mind that they like that traditional Kentucky style that they're familiar with, there's a number of people who don't even yet know they like bourbon. And Lee Sinclair is probably their inroads into that. Um, and I also have a thing where I have so many things that I'm, I'm, I do all the time and so many things that I'm, I'm trying to learn all the time that when something doesn't hit the way that even like if I have high hopes for it, it doesn't hit where I would expect it to. I can brush it off fairly easily and go, that's all right. I got something else coming out, you know, three months from now and maybe it'll do better. So, right, right. Um, and then there's there's also a little bit of that art form in there, too. Right. So that art form and this is not. This isn't corporate minded or profit minded and probably not the smartest thing in the world to say, but not everything is about the consumer all the time. You know, some of it has to be, we did this because we wanted to learn. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that is something that <clears throat> the consumer themselves and, and I, I fall victim to it as well. I mean, as, as much as I, you know, I'm in, the scene or whatever you want to call it. I mean, like I, you know, I am very aware of the market. I'm very aware of how people respond to the market and, and very aware of my own purchasing habits. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it, it's, it's a very <laughs> double edged sword where, you know, you do want to see innovation coming out of 
the the industry at the moment because yeah it it can get stale i mean how many times can we see you know 51 percent corn and then whatever mix of rye and malt barley afterwards but at, at the same time people are so reliant upon their own preferences and their own spending habits or, or purchasing habits or consuming habits that it there there's almost no concise middle ground to find yep. and and i i can't imagine how how frustrating that must be from time to time as a whiskey producer that you know you might have just the utmost faith in a product and then you put it out and people are just like eh, i don't know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> or, or they just spit it out and they're like this is a hundred percent just the horse piss or or whatever right you know right and and not because it not because it necessarily is but because they're not familiar with it and yeah so here here's a fun one for for you i think that you would understand really well too so like you know, seven years ago when I got in the industry, if a craft distillery had a bottled and bond product, that was like, you're the shit. You yeah. know what I mean? You got bottled and bond. And so, like, you have the all these little earmarks. You know, you have your white product, whatever you put out, and that is what it is. And those can be really interesting if you do them the right way, whether they be gin or absinthe, whatever. And so there's there's a hallmark. And then two-year-old bourbon, yeah, nobody really cares that much, but you have a bourbon, right? And then you're like, oh, man, when I get to four... When I get to four, it's like becoming a teenager and getting your fucking driver's license. <laughs> Can't wait until I get to four. And then you get to four and you do get some positive reviews. But then everybody's also like, but when this gets to eight, I'm like you fuckers keep moving the ring. You keep moving. You right. keep moving it out. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's positive and negative both, but it's good. It's good. It's all it's all stuff to live up to, you know, and that's right. Uh, the bottled and bond thing for me at Spirits of French Lake, that was that was my goal when I when I went in there was to get to bottled and bond on all this stuff. And and some of it will be older than four. You know, we're gonna hold some Sinclair barrels back that'll be eight. We're gonna hold some rye that back that'll be eight. Um, but I always wanted I feel like that that's and I think it's underappreciated, but I feel like that is a beacon of authenticity. When a craft distiller can get to bottled and bond, that shows that you're committed. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. So how how fluid are your goals? I mean, are are you you just kind of rolling with the punches? Pretty much depends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, if you I'll, ask me, I'll, I'll if you, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you, if you ask me on Monday morning, you know, they're going to be one thing. If you ask me on Saturday afternoon, it's going to be like, my goals right now are to go home and eat and go to bed. <laughs> but that's fair. Um, that's fair. They're, they're fairly they're fairly well set I think and here's here's the fun part again of things being better during the pandemic than what they should be so the goal when I came in was bottled and bond in 10 states well we're coming up on 10 states right now and we could easily be in far more but we couldn't feed them right now if we wanted to so overshot a little bit on that and then also overshot in that we just picked up Canadian distribution and potentially European distribution. So like I tell them at work all the time, like guys, we, we are far beyond where we yeah. should be for a five-year-old distillery. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I could like when I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest with you when I left as a distiller and I think any other distiller that listens to this will appreciate this. 
when I left Copper and Kings, there was no guarantee, right? As a matter of fact, one of the last things I heard from certain people in the company was, you're going somewhere that's never going to do anything. These people don't know the industry. They don't know what's going on, et cetera. Um, and that stuck with me a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, the first two or three yeah. years I was there, it was, hey, this may be a dead end. I may be working in a, a factory next week, you know? And so for it to have ended up where it's ended up at so far, I'm real happy with it, you know? And if I can keep it on that trend and just keep it moving up and moving up and moving up, I feel like uh, not only have I done well for my family, um, especially even just economically with, with the pay yeah. skill that I get there, but I've also contributed something now, in my opinion, to the history of distillation in Southern Indiana, more than just writing an article or two. I've now actually contributed a physical product and a physical history to that narrative that did not exist before. And so for me, that is, uh, you know, uh, that, that's a pretty big milestone. So what what's something that I don't think we consider enough or, or really even take the time to address <clears throat> is that within the next 100 years, maybe there might be something like another prohibition. Right. Oh, yeah, buddy. You know, yeah. Or, or, or some some event where we lose 90% of our distilleries or people just aren't able to maintain that, that company. And to, to think about that a hundred years from now, there might be another big long list of big poster board up at Buffalo trace that shows all of the distilleries that were lost to prohibition 2.0 or the distilleries that survived prohibition 2.0 mm-hmm. and and in in some way i've not felt this until now i'm kind of proud that like i get to take the time to talk to the people who have yeah. have brought the the love of this spirit back and have really done a, a great job of re-cementing the heritage of bourbon and, and re-cementing what it means to actually produce something that is uniquely ours. Yes. And, and cannot be, be replicated. And in many ways, <laughs> even though it can't be replicated, you know, the, the, it shouldn't be. Right. I mean, right. It, it's it's all very much, you know, u- unique to, to who we are and, and our, our heritage and where we come from. And it, it's it's mm-hmm. so it's it's almost gratifying in a way to think that I, I get to talk with folks like you and, and and be able to think about where where are things going to go further on down the line. Once, once I'm yeah. done with the podcast, once I'm done with, you know, <laughs> floating along this mortal coil, but right, you know, right. I, I mean, like, there's, there's a a story to be told, well beyond us, 
And it's really, oh, and it's sure. really cool. And it's, it's not meant, I don't mean to say it in like a morbid way, you no, know, no. It, it's just, it, <laughs> it's the, the hippie that I think that still kind of lives within me or, you know, <laughs> in, in some way, the old, the... the old soul that's, you know, pushing its way to the, to the forefront with me. But, yeah, you know, yeah, I, 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 I like the thought that, you know, even if things don't go exactly the way that we hope that they do. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to like, you know, cast a, <laughs> cast a spell on spirits of French Lake either. Right. That's by no means right. what I'm trying to say, but it's just like, you know, it, it is nice to kind of be in this moment and exist in this yeah. moment and, and see how cool it is that the community is not just so, um, please forgive me for using this word. It's not so circumcised. Right. To, right. To, you know, like it, it, it exists in and of itself and, and beyond itself. I agree. It, it's, it's well, really, really inter- entertaining is not the right word, but that's where I was going with that. But it, exciting and invigorating. You know, it's a good word, and it's yeah. a part of, of bringing that history and, and the agriculture back too. And yeah. man, you're you're in the right place at the right time. Uh, I'd say you know, so, I, are I, you, buddy. <laughs> I t- I tell you, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, dude. Because otherwise, I'd be digging ditches somewhere. There's no there's no doubt about it, or maybe graves. You know, who knows? But I tend to take the Bill Hicks pessimistic approach, right? The oh. life's just a just a ride thing. Um, I don't disagree. You know, I don't disagree. Yeah. It, but the fun, the, the interesting thing about what you just said is Prohibition 2.0. So to some extent, you're you're already seeing it because of current events, right? The number of distillers who have closed, sure. had a hard time sure. um, on top of personal tragedy. Um, my, my buddy Richard Odie uh, from Donham Day Brewery and Distillery in New Albany right now is in the hospital recovering from, uh, uh, I believe, a bypass surgery. Yeah. And he's had a rough year with COVID. They're a tiny little place. They don't have any distribution and but you know what? He's optimistic and he's he's ready to roll and he's going to do cool stuff. Um, but make no mistake about it, brother. There is um, people will scoff at it when they hear this. And I've talked to people in the industry who scoff at it right now and let them scoff all they want. The idea of a second prohibition is not that far fetched. And probably, brother, you and I will see a push for it in our lifetime. More than likely. I, I, you know, it, it is so sad. To mm-hmm. think about that, but but tr- See, truthfully, what, I don't disagree with you. I really don't. What you do is you you get into business with people like me. So here's the beauty of distillation: <laughs> uh, once once you know it and you understand it, and you feel like you halfway have a have a, a decent grasp on it, there's a little piece of of dystopian Allen that goes, <laughs> "Go ahead." Bring back Prohibition 2.0 and make me a fucking millionaire. See, see what I do with it. <laughs> Challenge me right. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. I, I I love that. That that's even coming back around to that mythical alchemist aspect that you kind of mm-hmm. you 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 have adopted as well. But I I just want to say thank you so much for for sitting down with me and 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 being so open and honest about um not just not just your experience with the the industry but also just you as a person i mean like th- yeah. this is at the core what i love about my podcast and i i don't mean to you know be 
I don't mean to fluff myself up or, or, you know, try to toot my own horn or whatever, but I get the chance to be very open with people and allow people the openness in this forum to just, mm-hmm. just chat, man, you know, just, yeah. just, just have a good time. And, and, you know, we may take things seriously, but at the same time, we also are just giving each other the, the chance to, to riff and, and, share some laughs and have fun together. So I, I really, really do appreciate you. Um, This is, this has been a blast for me because, because it's not, it's not been, it's not been that terribly serious thing, which, which gets (laughs) really old real quick, to be honest with you. It does. I get it. I get it. You know, you know, your, 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 uh, your catchism should be here is uh, it's just whiskey. Drink it. It is. Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, I want to, um, we we I'm I'm starting to do this more with uh, with guests on the show, um, but we typically round out episodes with a, a segment called Tips and Bits, where mm-hmm. it's just recommendations for for things that we've been watching or, or reading or listening to or just kind of enjoying recently. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of end the show off with you doing Tips and Bits. Is there anything that you kind of want people to go and check out oh man i'm such a fucking dork (laughs) (laughs) hey man we so as of recording let me let me just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit we are recording on saint patrick's day right we are about five hours away from the snyder cut of justice league being released on hbo max (laughs) like i am the most I'm so cynical about this. I don't want to get excited about it because I just, I think it's going to be just as good as Batman V Superman was like no better, no right. worse. It's going to be just on the same level playing field. But like right. that, that's where my nerd brain has. <laughs> me, with the, me with the pause, pause button going, <laughs> talking to my wife. Did you see that? I'll rewind it. I'll show you. Look, don't, don't fucking blink right now. Don't you fucking blink. <laughs> and you know because you do it, I can tell. <laughs> Dude, when when uh, uh spoilers, by the way, I don't want to I'll give people a little bit of a chance. But for in, in WandaVision, when mm-hmm. uh when Evan Peters showed up as that version of Pietro or Quicksilver, I I shouted so loud I woke our baby up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like, That's I just, awesome. I, I, I couldn't, oh. I couldn't help it, but just to go, whoa, 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 what's happening here? <laughs> the, mo- the most tore up I've ever been in my life, and this was when I was a kid. And then, I'll, then I'll, I'll tell you about the ones I'm excited about here. Yeah, but please. The most please. tore up I've, I've ever been in my life was when I was a kid. I was a huge Undertaker fan, right? I love pro wrestling, oh. but <laughs> fucking Undertaker, not, 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 not fucking Billy Badass Biker Undertaker, <laughs> but fucking Undertaker, right? I hated Mick Foley so fucking much as mankind, dude. I would just lose my collective shit as a child anytime mankind would show up and mess with Undertaker. Like I'd punch the floor. Like he I remember like even like boiler room brawl and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I'll burn his face off. You know? Oh my <laughs> you gosh. Know? Get it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you gotten to uh, to chat with a uh, Matt or Aiden English yet? No, not yet. Yeah, not yet. he's a he's got his own whiskey show now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Wrestling with Whiskey. But I mean, he's nice. he's on uh, 
he's on social media under uh, wrestling mm-hmm. with whiskey as well. He's actually, I th- I've been trying to nail down a date for him as well to come on the, the podcast sometime soon, but um, that, that would be right up your alley. My dad is a big wrestling fan as well. And oh, yeah. we went to, uh, I, I, I think it was like beginning of 2020. Um, there was a Monday night raw here in Lexington and like, it was the most boring thing. It was such a bad Monday yeah. Night Raw. It was no good. But well, such mo- modern wrestling is such a joke compared. <laughs> I mean, you got you got no. There's no like. There's nobody, right? There's just yeah. there's nobody. I, you I, have no names. I actually have to agree with you. And and like I'm I'm tangentially a fan, or or maybe not tangentially, but kind of like adjacently a fan of like old wrestling where it, you know, I just like, I, I appreciate it. And you know, if it's, if it's on or my dad's talking about it, I can kind of understand or, you know, just, just kind of get into it a little bit, but like modern wrestling, I mean, it's like what, um, I, I mean, it's like Alexa bliss and like, that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Her and Bray Wyatt. That's, exactly, that's what you got. Exactly. That's it. That is, that is that's 100% it. it. And, and, like, and Bray Wyatt, I love him, but he's, he's not a great wrestler. He's a great, he's a fantastic writer. I, I, when, when, uh, when Bray's Playhouse or whatever they were calling it was, was going on yeah. last year, I found that so entertaining. It was so goofy. It's awesome. And so just, it was right in my wheelhouse of humor. And yeah. I I just enjoyed the heck out of it. And again, I don't really watch wrestling. I don't like subscribe to it recently. I don't like, you know, sit down and, and seek it out. But like <laughs> I just enjoyed it so much. I was like, yeah. this is perfect. It's so yes. and, and and my dad was the perfect opposite where he was like, I don't get any of this and I don't like this and it's just really strange and I was like no this is perfect it's fucking great yeah it's 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 a modern humor and then be the funny the funny part of the, any of those um those modern occultic leaning things is that there's so much so much like little leads of truth in the things that he's saying regarding actual occult belief that like the geek part of my brain's it's, like, yeah. It's so, it's so unsettling. It's so unsettling yeah. in so many ways, but it's just perfect. Yeah. It's just perfect. You're anyway. just waiting for an Alistair Crowley puppet to show up, you know? <laughs> Let's take this thing full circle. That- but I'll tell you, man, the one that I'm looking forward to, this is another one of those um, positive COVID things. And I maybe you shouldn't use positive and COVID in the same sentence. I'm not sure that's PC anymore, and I apologize. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> is the fact that I'm inherently a little bit antisocial anyways because sure. I'm an only child and grew up in a trailer park and just got my ass kicked daily. Um, so I love movies, but I don't... I, I love the idea of a movie theater unless there's other people there, right? If it was just me and my wife and nobody else, it'd be fucking fantastic. So I am excited that Warner Brothers has made this deal with HBO uh, to, to, to stream their movies this year. And so last year, one of the things that me and my wife did is we brought, we bought a projector. We built a big screen outside in front of the house. We watched movies all summer long. It was glorious. Awesome. And I cannot wait until Kong versus Godzilla (laughs) and Mortal Kombat. And I know, I know there's no way to be alive. That Mortal Kombat movie, there's no way it's not going to be cheesy, but it's not going to be as bad. Like, I watch it and I geek out. Like, I, 
I was looking the other day. I was like literally like freeze framing as I'm going through the thing. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh, did you see the like 0.5 seconds where Scorpion had the skull face? We're, He's going to do the thing. We are way too similar. <laughs> right. And B Bihan looks freaking awesome. You know, like, like I had this this moment where I'm like identifying with the villain of the movie. I'm like, oh, like a fat ninja over here. Like. You see, you, know, you see Sub Zero like freezing the guy's arms, freezing Jax's arms, and like yeah. he looks like he's infatuated by his own magic. I'm like, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be infatuated if I could do that shit. Right too. there with you, guy. Right there with <laughs> right. you. <laughs> right. So there's gonna be a bed sheet hanging outside of this bedroom, incredible, in the living room, incredible. When that happens, and it's gonna be, it's just gonna be me and my wife rolling her eyes, not hard enough, <laughs> but hard <laughs> enough every that moment. you can hear them. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah 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 and then the kong versus godzilla thing i'm pretty sure i freeze frame that whole like fight scene on the battleship where kong punches godzilla like 15 Fantastic. times like, yeah, let's do that alan i want to say thank you again man for for coming and hanging out with me tonight and and chatting about all things spirits of french lake and and just yes, sir. laying it all out buddy I appreciate it. It's an absolute sure. blast, yeah, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate that. Um, where can uh, where can people find you on social media? So you can find me. I don't remember all of my. Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can find that pretty easy. Um, there's like three Alan Bishops, and I'm the only one that's not famous. So, <laughs> uh, and Instagram, but then also spiritsoffrenchlick.com, alchemistcabinet.com for all your Indiana distilling history, uh, consultation, etc. And then uh, you can buy all of our products from Sealbox.com. See, I got Blake Ryber back in there, there you go. and uh, took care. Were of. we talking about that before? I think we talked about that before we started. We were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you want to follow me, I am at PRitter1492 on all social media channels. If you want to follow the show itself, it's at my bourbon pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can leave us a five star rating and review on the iTunes podcast app or really whatever podcatcher app you use, and we will see that. We usually read about here on the show, good or bad. Because, you know, we're sadists in some way, I guess. I don't know. You can find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com. Aside from our Glencairns, uh, this is my bourbon drinking glass, Glencairns, which are available at whiskeyambitions.com. Thanks so much to Chad and Sarah, as always, for allowing us to sell those over there. It's Chad and Sarah of It's Bourbon Night. I apologize. I meant to shout them out properly. I... <laughs> <laughs> You can send comments or questions to thisismybourbonshop at gmail.com. I go live every Thursday night on YouTube at youtube.com slash thisismybourbonpodcast at 8 p.m. Eastern, actually, not Central. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, 859-428-8253 is where you can send uh, your voicemails for our infrequent barrel ring segment, which is always fun to listen to. We respond to them here on air. And then last but not least... You can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast for as little as a dollar a month. For as little as five dollars a month, you can be, become a patron who gets to hear all of our bonus content. That's where I was going with that, uh, including the pregame chats, which come out the day before every main episode, and the last call, which comes out the day after every main episode. And I think that does it for this week. Alan, once again, man, thank you so much. It's just yeah, so man. One, one more little piece of bourbon news yeah, I got to throw in there please. for people before I go. In case we aren't on, I'm not on the show with you again before then, I want to remind everybody that um, by unanimous vote, National Allen Bishop Day, which is October 20th, 
<laughs> has now become an international event. That's incredible. So mark your calendars for October 20th. Uh, the, the council that voted on that was me. And uh, we're taking it worldwide this year. So solidarity through sarcasm. Mr. World- Tag a brother. Mr. Worldwide. All right. I see how it's going. <laughs> right. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, I'm Perry, and this is my birthday podcast.